Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 4th of July and I'm Govindraj Jaithiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital and most rocking city in the world when it's not pouring away. Our top reports and themes for the day. Corporate India is having its best days, but India's small enterprises struggle as working capital challenges mount. The 2000 rupee note is going back home to the Reserve Bank or at least about 76% of it so far. How SoftBank sold artificial intelligence to everyone seven years ago, but barely invested in any of its stocks since then. Geo says it will liberate 250 million mobile phone users trapped in 2G networks. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. India's micro, small and medium enterprises, or MSME as they are called, make up most of the employment and contribute to 40% of India's exports. Since demonetization, which put pressure on the cash economy and GST or goods and service tax, which pushed them towards formalization, it's been a tough and bumpy ride for these small enterprises. Things are unlikely to get better very soon. A new report from rating agency Crystal says MSMEs will face headwinds from the imminent economic slowdown in advanced countries particularly the United States and the Eurozone. These two geographies account for a third of India's overall exports. Worse, a crystal analysis shows that almost 20% of these MSMEs by value are expected to witness an increase in working capital requirements this fiscal compared to the pre-pandemic or the fiscal 2020 levels. Now these MSMEs are in sectors already grappling with high working capital requirements and are likely to see working capital days as they are called go up by anywhere between 20 and 35 days now. Crystal's analysis covers about 69 sectors and 147 clusters representing 2/3 of the MSME universe and reflecting an aggregate revenue of 63 lakh crore rupees. Now this represents roughly 25% of India's GDP in the last year. India's MSMEs need over 100 lakh crore rupees of debt, Crystal says. Of this some 70% is for working capital requirements. A fourth of this debt is sourced formally. The rest is not. And the cost of capital from the informal segment is therefore very high. Equally, assessing their working capital requirement is a challenge also because of information asymmetry and lack of high frequency data points to understand the landscape the challenges and solutions for what in many ways is india's manufacturing backbone i caught up with crystal's director of research pushan sharma and began by asking him to tell us about what this study was telling them so the reason for the stretch in working capital is that if you look at working capital definition itself you look at the inventory days you look at the receivable days and the payable days and all of these three have been impacted over the last 2 to 3 years and the reason for that is if you look at the commodity boom itself over the last 2 years we've had steel prices crude oil prices natural gas prices shooting through the roof even with some moderation that we're seeing right now if we compare these commodities to where they were pre pandemic they're still about 40% higher so the payable days of smes have really gone up at the same time smes that are export oriented and 40% of india's exports is through our msme ecosystem right so we have a significant chunk of them having exposure to exports one third of our exports now are to us and europe and these countries are seeing some moderation in demand right so the receivable days are also getting impacted 
and because of lower demand itself the inventory days is also inching up so all of these three aspects is impacting the msme ecosystem and more so the ones that are export oriented so now when we say stretch in working capital what does that mean uh, more practically as in if i was an msme what does it mean does it mean that i'm not able to meet payroll does it mean that i'm not able to pay suppliers also my incoming is delayed right so it becomes a cash flow problem for the msme he has people to pay in terms of the raw material that he's bought so strictly going by the definition of working capital it is what money is to be received versus what money is to be paid and the inventory that is lying till it is sold that's also part of the working capital so if i have to pay more to my suppliers so my payable days go up which is what has happened because of the escalation in commodity prices because the demand is slowing down in some of the geographies the number of days taken for them to pay the msmes has increased and the inventory is getting piled up at the msmes so we spoke about in our report about the gems and jewelry ecosystem getting impacted because a lot of our exports are to us and europe for the gems and jewelry part there the inventory is also piling up for the msme so they are not able to realize that in terms of sales which again impacts their uh, working capital so what that does is that sort of inhibits them from their day to day activities right and msmes as we were speaking earlier have been having a tough time for a while and this effectively started maybe with demonetization where there was a shock of sorts to the system so tell us about how things have changed or not since then so in fact uh, that's a way you know important question to address uh, msmes have had it tough for the last 6 7 years right from 2016 when demonetization happened and msmes are more cash economy oriented right so they got severely impacted more than their large corporate counterpart then in 2017 we had gst and that led to a little more formalization many of the msmes did not have the wherewithal first to comply with gst because you need an entire ecosystem to do that at least initially and large corporates wanted to deal with msmes that are more compliant so that they get their gst credit so that led to a little more formalization msmes lost market share just after that we had the nbfc crisis msmes derive a lot of fund from the nbfc ecosystem so that again impinged on their credit needs post that we had a slowdown in the economy in fiscal 20 that is of course common for corporate india and msmes but then we had the pandemic in 2020 and that treated the msmes and the corporate india very differently and the reason why i say that is corporate india were able to navigate the supply chain issues msmes were not able to as much corporate india of course has deeper pockets and that's what sort of helped them msmes again lost a lot of market share and very importantly because msmes operate in a highly competitive environment their ability to pass on any increase in price which is what we witnessed over the last 2 years because of the commodity up boom also is quite constrained so there if you look at msmes and compare them with corporate india in terms of the ebitda margins corporate india was at an all time decadal high i should say decadal high margins in fiscal 21 whereas 46% of the msmes by value that crystal tracks they were below their pre covid margins so that's the contrast between corporate india and msmes but uh, this also seems to have impacted some clusters more than the other your report talks about the amdabad cluster the surat cluster tell us about that so clusters that are exposed to exports so the amdabad cluster has exposure to export surat cluster through gems and jewelry has exposure to exports uh, these are getting impacted more on the working capital days because they are getting impacted both on receivable days as well as inventory days 
So segments like pesticides, again, where we have a significant chunk of exports going out of India, dyes and pigments, as well as gems and jewelry are getting uh, impacted in a negative way. But then again, there are segments or sectors that are doing well. For example, the auto component segments are doing well. Healthcare is again picking up. Medical tourism sort of had stalled through the pandemic, but now we're seeing again an increase in the tourist arrivals for medical tourism. So those segments are doing well. In terms of clusters, uh, indoor cluster, again, it has some orientation towards auto components. That's doing better. Parts of NCR cluster, again, on the auto component side is doing better. Right. So as we look ahead, uh, Pushan, so what are the solutions for this? And as you say now that we are dealing with a problem that's only got worse in the last seven years. So we have to address it perhaps more holistically. I know money is one part of it. But what else could a classical MSME do, given all the other constraints that they are in any case working with or against to get out of this or become better positioned to handle this? So I think this is a problem not just to solve for MSMEs, but it's a problem that we need to solve for India. And the reason why I say that is uh, 99% of the enterprises in India are MSMEs. The jury is out whether the number is 6.5 crores or 7 crores. But the sheer number of MSMEs dominate India, right? And India, if we have to take advantage of our demographic dividend, we need to provide employment. And the only engine that can provide employment en masse is the MSME ecosystem. And hence, the problem needs to be solved not just for the MSMEs, but for India itself. And now coming to some of the solutions, credit is one big aspect. And I'll come to that later. But in terms of the compliance burden, right, that MSMEs face, that needs to be brought down. The barriers to entry for new MSMEs also to enter need to be brought down. And MSMEs need to be scaled up. And just to give some numbers around scale, if you look at China and compare that with India, China has about 4.5 crore MSMEs. They account for about 50% of their GDP. India has about 6.5 crore SMEs, which accounts for about 30-33% of our GDP. But Chinese GDP is five times that of India. So if we just do the math around these numbers, what it shows is that the average MSME in China is 10 times that of India. So the scale at which they're operating is significant. And that is what we need to go for. And reducing some of these compliance burdens, like if one does not comply with many of these regulations, there is a jail term or a fine involved, right? So reducing those can really help MSMEs. The second part is the credit solution. You know, our report talks about more than 100 lakh crore of credit needed. 20% is being met formally. At Crystal, we speak to bankers. What we realize is that the banks are really adept at lending to large corporates. They have sectoral strategies. So a different strategy for cement versus, uh, say, an automobile manufacturer. But the same is not true when it comes to MSMEs. And what that does is that banks tend to overprice good risk and underpriced bad risk because they have a common strategy across MSMEs. And overall, that leads to a suboptimal sort of an experience for banks when it comes to MSME lending. So the need is to go away from just collateral-based lending, have a subsector level strategy for MSMEs. And that's where a win-win can be for both the banks in them being able to price risk correctly for MSMEs as well as for MSMEs to get uh, access to formal credit, which is at a much lower interest rate compared to the informal credit. But in a very broad sense, that 100 lakh crore figure that you talk about, is that money there? I mean, do we have those funds available if people started accessing or wanting to access? So the thing is that, you know, uh, because we're only 20% is formal credit penetration, right? It's going to be a slow and gradual change. But the good thing is that as we speak, the balance sheets of banks in India are looking good. So there is capital and banks too are looking at good proposals to lend to. So there is an opportunity clearly there. Right. Uh, Pushan, thank you so much for joining me.
While small enterprises face tough times, as Crystal's Pushan Sharma says, we can clearly see that stocks of bigger enterprises are having a happy run at the stock exchanges. The BSE Sensex saw a fresh closing high of 65,205, soaring 486 points yesterday. The index hit an intraday record high of 65,248. The broader Nifty 50, meanwhile, was up 141 points to close at 19,330. The index, too, scaled an all-time high of 19,336 in intraday trade. Goodbyes to the 2,000 rupee note. While many folks are still pondering about the reasons for the government's move to demonetize the 2,000 rupee note in May, we now learn that 76% of 2,000 rupee bank notes in circulation as on May 19 have been returned to the banks, the Reserve Bank of India said in a statement on Monday. As on May 19, that's May 19 two months ago, the total value of 2,000 rupee notes in circulation was rupees 3.56 trillion, and of this, currency notes worth 2.72 trillion rupees or 272,000 crores, if you're trying to convert, have been returned, the Reserve Bank is saying. It also says that data collected from major banks shows that of the total bank notes in 2,000 rupee notes returned from circulation, 87% is in the form of deposits, which means people didn't exchange them for other notes, while the remaining around 13% has been exchanged into other denomination banknotes. The Reserve Bank has said, in a pretty stern manner it appears, that members of the public are requested to utilize the next three months to deposit and or exchange the 2,000 rupee notes held with them to avoid any rush in the last few days before September 30th, 2023. This is, of course, in case you were hoping to hold on to your rupees 2,000 notes waiting for some kind of miracle. On May 19, the Reserve Bank had said that in pursuance of a clean note policy, it had decided to withdraw the 2,000 rupee banknotes from circulation. It also said that about 89% of the 2,000 rupee denomination banknotes were issued prior to March 2017 and are at an end of their estimated lifespan of 4-5 to five years. RBI had given the customers time till September 30th to exchange or deposit the notes at the nearest bank branch. Singularity. What happened to that? As the pumped-up venture capital-fueled frenzy unravels faster than you can say VC, I'm now reminded of a speech given six years ago in September 2017 by Masayoshi Son, founder of the SoftBank VC Fund, where he said that in coming years, robots would live alongside humans. His singular theme was singularity. The point at which artificial intelligence finally outstrips that of humans, thus taking over their or our jobs. He also said that the number of sentient robots on Earth would rival the number of humans. Thankfully, he gave us all some time to prepare for this epochal moment. He then said it would happen in 30 years, which is 2047. I felt he said 30 years one year later also, when it could have been 29, but that's nitpicking. So he explained that now we have white collar and blue collar, but a new collar would start, which was metal collars, which would replace most of the blue collar and many of the white collar jobs. He posed some very poignant questions. What should we do if they replace many of our jobs? What is the value of our lives? We have to think once more, deeply, he said. He also said, the smart robot population on Earth would be 10 billion, along with around 10 billion of us humans. 
so there would be 10 billion of us living with 10 billion of them he also said that every industry mankind had created would be redefined medicines automobiles information agriculture everything at that time softbank was on a roll with a 93 billion dollar vision fund technology investment vehicle at this speech that i just referred to reported by cnbc mr son said that it all went back to artificial intelligence and robots what is my belief and vision for this investment i have only one belief singularity he said the economist reported a little later in may 2018 that the impact of masayoshi son's 100 billion now tech fund would be profound because it was giving new opportunities to entrepreneurs and forcing silicon valley's bests to stay relevant The Economist also pointed out that Silicon Valley insiders were skeptical, saying that Mr. Sohn is force-feeding young firms with more capital than they deserve or need, and then that his fund would further inflate a bubble in technology valuations. Around this time, he also spoke to David Rubenstein in the David Rubenstein Show. David Rubenstein, if you didn't know already, is co-founder of the Carlyle Fund. He spoke about singularity, and this is what he said. So, one vision, which is. singularity singularity is the concept that the computing power compu- computers artificial intelligence surpass uh, mankind's brains today already computer is smarter than mankind for chess or go or weather forecast to some expert systems computer is already smarter but in 30 years most of the subject we are thinking they will be smarter than us that's my belief according to the wall street journal son mentioned ai more than 500 times in quarterly and annual results presentation between 2017 and mid 2022 one would expect that masayoshi was supposed to invest in companies which are obviously going to ride this ai boom and obviously make pots of money for its investors mostly large and institutional funds It now turns out in 2023 even as AI is truly sweeping the world and we are all talking about it that SoftBank did not quite follow through. The Wall Street Journal reports that after more than 140 billion dollars on 400 plus startups an artificial intelligence mania sweeping the market and SoftBank is still playing catch up. Despite the unprecedented spending spree that Son in 2020 said would make SoftBank the investment company for the AI revolution, one of the world's most prolific tech investors has missed out on the frenzy in generative AI, the red hot subsector in which products such as ChatGPT learn from huge datasets to create unique texture images, says the Wall Street Journal. Worse, SoftBank has invested in just one of the 26 generative ai startups valued at more than 1 billion dollars according to pitchbook softbank's competitors including quartu lightspeed and tiger global have each backed several billion dollars companies in this area again according to the wall street apparently at the company's annual meeting in june son pledged once again to be at the forefront of the field he said ai will reshape humanity and that he was devoted to becoming an architect of that future admitting that he cried during moments of introspection last year he was ashamed that i made many mistakes he said softbank has however benefited to some extent from the ai boom in one of its companies chip designer arm which it bought in 2016 for 32 billion dollars 
Analysts told the Wall Street Journal that ARM is likely to be valued at more than $60 billion, a big boost from prior estimates in an IPO or initial public offering expected in coming months. That, along with a weaker Japanese yen, has helped lift SoftBank shares more than 33% since late May. But one analyst also told Wall Street Journal that SoftBank's missing the AI companies reinforces his belief that the bank is not a great investor. Still, he said, with a boost to ARM's valuation, potentially that rescues SoftBank from its past disastrous investments. Now, back home here in India, SoftBank has invested in a range of companies from Swiggy and Zomato to Ola and Misho, Paytm and Lenskart, and other classifieds, yes, classifieds, edtech, physical logistics and software-as-a-service companies. There are many more, and many of whom whose future is a little unclear to me, but that's a different discussion. Some of these companies may actually turn real profits someday, but I'm not sure I'm seeing a singularity living alongside robots in a 30-year connection with any of these investments, but maybe others can. Meanwhile, sales pitch or otherwise, Masha, as his investee company founders fondly refer to him, seems to have a heart somewhere on solving the world's problems. His investments, of course, just to reiterate, don't seem to reflect much or any of this, at least to me, but it's good to hear. I have a vision. I have a vision of singularity that's really coming. So we create a vision fund, right? We go and change the world together and create a better world, better world for, for human living. So that excites me. You know, what is the future? How we can change the life of people for the better humanity, right? And so that people don't need to die for unnecessary reasons, like having accident or having the disease or having the disaster, to protect human from all those sadness is a good thing, right? So imagining those things and investing and create a group and having great product, great solution is exciting. Meanwhile, in the non-singular world, manufacturing grew sharply in India, becoming the second fastest growth phase this year, though slower compared to May. The latest data from the Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI, compiled by SNP Global, showed a reading of 57.8 in June, a slight decrease from May's figure of 58.7. The result was also slightly below a Reuters poll expectation of 58. The PMI, however, has remained above the crucial 50 mark for two consecutive years, indicating expansion rather than contraction. June's PMI results again showed robust demand for Indian-made products, both in the domestic and international markets. Pollyanna de Lima, Economics Associate Director at SNP Global Market Intelligence, told Reuters, new orders and output rose sharply, despite the sub-indexes easing moderately from May, driven by both domestic and international demand. Foreign demand grew for the 15th straight month. Strong underlying demand also stoked business confidence and optimism around future business activity rose to its highest this year, the Reuters report said. Geo to liberate 250 million of us. If you are among some 250 million 2G users in the country, Geo, part of the Reliance Group, has promised to liberate you starting this month. Geo has launched the Geo Bharat device for 999 rupees, which hopes to provide affordable access to Geo's 4G network for customers still using 2G technology. 
The beta trial for the first million of these Jio Bharat phones will begin on July 7th, the company said in a formal release. The Jio Bharat device is positioned as a vital component of the company's 2G Mukt Bharat or 2G Free India vision, which is obviously internet ready and comes with a 123 rupees plan that is valid for 28 days and offers 14 gigabytes or GB of data or 0.5 GB a day. Whether that is enough for all you movie watching types, I'm not sure. Reliance Jio chairman Akash Ambani said that there were still 250 million mobile phone users in India who were trapped in the 2G era, unable to tap into basic features of the internet at a time when the world was standing at the cusp of the 5G revolution. Users will get Jio Cinema, which offers entertainment, Jio Savan, which offers music, and Jio Pay, a UPI-based digital payments app. For the folks over at WhatsApp, this, which is the GeoPay app, would be most likely another lost opportunity, and for Google Pay and Phone Pay, stiffer competition. The phone, quite importantly, comes with a bright torch, says the company, and a radio, which would make it particularly useful in remote and rural areas. I'm imagining that this would also work equally well and be equally useful in urban or some urban areas as well. Well, that's it for me for today. See you tomorrow in the morning. Do write in to me with any feedback on govindraj at thecore.in and have a great day. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. the core.in or follow us on linkedin twitter and facebook as well now we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on india's vibrant manufacturing sector write to us at feedback@thecore.in at thank you for listening <laughs>